This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome along to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm your host Matt Addison with Joe Rimmer, Theo Squires and Hannah Pinnock with me this afternoon to have a chat about the domestic cups. Firstly, the 4-1 win over Shrewsbury Town in the FA Cup and then the first leg of the Carabao Cup semi-final with Arsenal, which is of course to come on Thursday. Let's start at Anfield though. Theo, you were there like myself. It was a, a mixed Liverpool lineup of youth and experience. The Reds went a goal down, of course, and then came back to win comfortably. It never really felt to me like they were in too much trouble in terms of progressing to the fourth round. What did you make of, of the game, given the fact that it was such a, a mixed team and a really strange week leading up to it as well? It's a bit of a boring game, really, wasn't it? I don't think any fans there really felt like they wanted to be there. There was no atmosphere at all. Um, there was delight pretty much when the third goal went in because it's like, oh, yes, we don't have to do another 30 minutes of extra time. We can just get this one done and dusted today. Um, it, it was a strange one because you compare the lineup to, say, the team that they put out against Leicester in the League Cup, and Liverpool struggled in that one in the first half. It was very weak, but then they didn't have any of the absentees. Where the one they put out against Shrewsbury, it has such a strong spine to it. When I think Steve Cottrell said it in his uh, post match, when you've got Canate, Van Dijk, and Fabinho there, it doesn't matter who else you've got, that is a strong base to build your side off. And the only concern you've really had when you're looking at the Liverpool 11 was. Where are the goals going to come from? Um, there was maybe a slight concern when Shrewsbury took the lead as a result. But Liverpool had enough in the bag. As soon as Kate Gordon equalised within what, a few minutes of them going behind, I think, yeah, they've got enough here. And then you look at the bench. Oh, they can just throw on Minamino. They can throw on Firmino. They can get the job done. But there were so many promising aspects from it individually. Like Connor Bradley struggled against Leicester in that game I just mentioned. Um, subbed at half-time. This one, he had probably his best performance for the club so far. Makes such a difference when you're part of an experienced back four. And he was just thriving, running forward. He set up one goal, played a big part in the other one. Obviously, Kay Gordon marked his first uh, Anfield appearance with a goal as well. He was equally impressive on the right-hand side. Same players back from injury, Andy Robertson back from suspension. Um, it's one where Liverpool can take it as a positive. Like For such a week where they've not been able to train, they didn't know who's going to be available, they've managed to turn it around and use it as this positive to get players back, to give them minutes and to give some of the youngsters opportunities as well. Like Tyler Morton's just done what he's done all season, doesn't look out of place in the Liverpool midfield. And it was a, a good opportunity for Max Waltman, Elijah Dixon Bonner, um, whether they're going to be long-term Liverpool players. Well, we don't know. You don't think they're rated as highly perhaps as a Morton or a Bradley or a Gordon, but it's still what you really want from the FA Cup early on to have that sort of blend of experience and youth. We saw it a few years ago, of course, when they were like beating Everton with all the kids. And you just hope now that they can go on a bit of a cup run. Um, for as long as they stay in this competition, there's going to be more opportunities for the younger players. And the likes of Keller, for example, are going to be thriving in that because he knows it's actually guaranteed game time, which he might not get in the Premier League. Yeah, I think it's always exciting, Joe, to see the, the youngsters come in and, and play. But I think it was particularly interesting yesterday, as Theo says, it was obviously a mixture of, of experience and youth. And I think that the young players really benefited from that. Obviously, Tyler Morton was brilliant. I thought Connor Bradley probably had his best game again, like Theo says, in terms of coming in and, and playing in a more strong and, and solid back four. You can really start to, to see what these young players are about when you put them in next to Van Dijk, Robertson and, and all of the rest. Yeah, that's it. And I think it's a luxury that the Klopp hasn't always had at times in his tenure, is it? Is, you know, you, you want to bring these young players in, but you want to protect them. Um, and, you know, I think at times 
for some reasons, selection-wise, Klopp hasn't got it right. And sometimes he's, you know, you know, the other day against Leicester, I think he just, you know, threw too many, too many young players in. So I thought it was a good balance. I think Theo was right in terms of someone like Elijah Dixon Bonner. I think he's twenty-two now. Might even be 20, 23, Elijah Dixon Bonner. He's getting a bit older, but he, he's someone that I think. You know, look, you, you look at the, the team sheet before the game, and there's a few people saying, Where's Musilovsky and, and other players like that? But it's not championship manager, you can't just throw in 11, 17 year olds and, and expect them to, to blow a team like Shrewsbury away. You've got to manage it, you've got to navigate that game. And I, I thought there was a nice blend yesterday, and it allowed you know people like Bradley and um, Kelleher, I think, is still. You know, still learning this trade very much so. Um, to really shine, um, it was good to see someone like Curtis Jones, who was slightly more senior, but let's not forget, still a very young player. You know, take them on a little bit and, and be one of the key people in that team. So, you know, it's it's a good learning experience. Look, Theo was right. I don't think it was the most exciting game. I don't think, you know, people are going to want to look back and watch the goals again and again and again. Um, it was one that you just have to get through. And I think, considering the circumstances and the build up, the, the personnel. Um, involved. It was a very good win for Liverpool and, and Klopp would be very pleased um, and they can move on to Arsenal with perhaps a, a slightly stronger lineup. 21 years, Elijah Dixon Bonner, so not quite as, not, as old not, as, as we thought. About years, so I'm sorry, I'm getting like your dad. Sorry, <laughs> only, only just as well, only last week turned 21, so yeah, still uh, plenty of, of time on He's his He's still time, a baby but... compared to Joe though, isn't he? Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> just, um, just the, the Ten years younger, but but someone like him, you know, he's a relative um, veteran, isn't he? Compared to some of the other young players in there, and I think, all right, he's not somebody that you expect is going to be in the Liverpool midfield in in two or three years' time, and might go and you know play for a Championship team or a League One team, but they're important, and I think coaches know that they're important. Klopp will know that he's important, and um, the club will. will know how valuable he is so it's easy to dismiss him and he's not someone that fans are going to get really excited about but you know he, he deserves credit because I think he did a good job yesterday and I think the younger players around him will certainly appreciate it. Yeah, he certainly deserved the uh, the opportunity to go and play and, and took that very much at Anfield and I suppose that another one that's probably got a slightly higher ceiling Hannah I think it's fair to say is, is Tyler Morton who I thought was was exceptional obviously we've seen a fair bit of him already this season but particularly yesterday alongside Fabinho. I thought that was a really good duo and, and just sort of opened up, you know, the, the eyes of a few people in terms of, of what he can be when he doesn't have to tackle. He can just focus on doing what he does best. Yeah, that's a that's a huge thing, I think, um, to put him in alongside Fabinho, where, you know, he's been tasked in previous games this season with being Fabinho and you can see how difficult of a role that is and especially for someone so young. So to have Fabinho back in that lineup and to give, you know, Tyler Morton that little bit more freedom, I think, like you said, we really did start to see just what he's capable of. Um, you know, you, you didn't know at all what sort of lineup Klopp was going to put out, out yesterday given all of the injuries and, and COVID especially. So I was I was quite surprised to be honest with how strong it was, um, especially against Shrewsbury. But um, you know, it, it went pretty strong and I think having Van Dyke, Canate and Fabinho in there, like Theo mentioned earlier, to have that spine, you know, it's sort of then like, you know, allows the likes of Kay Gordon, allows the likes of Tyler Morton and and Connor Bradley, etc., to to you know show what they can do, and they've they've got that solidity behind them. Um, so yeah, I, th I thought it was a very positive um, performance, and so many good things that Klopp can take from it. I mean, these are these are the sorts of games where you 
you start to see, you know, which players and which youngsters are going to go on to have long and, and thriving Liverpool careers. And um, I think there's certainly a couple in there that will. Um, I just think back to seeing, you know, Harvey Elliott in these competitions, you know, a couple of years ago and, and you know, you, you see where he's at now and you know, he's been trusted in Premier League games and, and hopefully when he comes back from his injury, we'll see much more of him. But you know, it's it's. I, I enjoy watching these games just because, like I said, you, know, you, you start to see which youngsters are, are you know, going to have long Liverpool careers. And um, Tyler Morton's definitely one that you know I've been impressed with um, quite a lot this season. Um, but Kay Gordon as well. Um, I think you know, for only seventeen, you can definitely see how high his ceiling is as well. And to get that debut goal, I think it will be will be massive for him. And um, it's something that these young players, even if they don't necessarily go on to have long Liverpool careers, they'll they'll always have that experience and they'll always have that behind them. Yeah, I think it was was really impressive actually the the goal from Cade Gordon Theo just in terms of the kind of time that he gave himself inside the box. It would have been easy to to snatch at it, but he took his time, put it into the corner. I mean, that's a, a kind of maturity really that you wouldn't expect of of someone at seventeen. Yeah, it's um, something that Jurgen Klopp and uh, Pep Linz, I think, have praised him about a couple of times, but saying he's, he's finishing and his ability to get in the centre of the box and get on the end of things is something that is far beyond his years, and it's just the rest of the game that needs to be polished up a bit. But you see so many teenagers, younger players, just snap at these chances. Um, we saw in pre-season, didn't we, when he was one-on-one, I think can't remember which one of the two home friendlies it was, whichever one it was, he was one-on-one and he put it wide. And you think, well, that was an easy chance for him to score. But this one, he was so calm and composed to take that touch, to sidestep the defender and then just roll it into the corner. It would have been easy to lash at it and get a block. Um, I think he had a chance before that where he's done and low towards the near post from the edge of the box. And you think, well, that could have been an easy one to just blaze over the bar. We've seen players from both sides do uh, rash finishing in this game. And I think there's one at the other end where Dixon Bonner, um, he didn't have that calm and composed nature that Gordon showed so he did just go first time with one and it was a great save from the keeper deny him but you think well Gordon might have just stood on it taken an extra touch and left the keeper on his backside like similar to what we saw Jota do I think against Arsenal earlier in the season but for a teenager to be doing this it is one of its strengths and it's one of the things that Liverpool coaches have been singing his praises for and if that's what you've got as the starting point and it's everything else needs to polish at the very least you've got a player who's going to score goals for you um, not many can score goals on a Branfield debut or a second ever appearance at the club, and he's now second youngest player for the team. It's interesting when you look at his journey, really, because you think it was it's not even a year since he joined the club from Derby County, and Derby have had their struggles. Um, they've had to turn to the younger players. They've been into like transfer embargo, so they're not being able to sign people. He could have played so many games in the Championship in the past year if he'd stayed put. But he's come to Liverpool, and you think, well, it's going to give him a better long term career. It's one where probably is the better decision for him. He's got to be patient. He knows he's not going to play every week. But we've been saying the same thing about Harvey Elliott. Like if Elliott had stayed at Fulham, he'd have played so many games for them. Instead, he's come to Liverpool. He's had to bide his time. And now a year, uh, 18 months after joining the club, he's part of that first team picture. So you think, well, Elliott is part of the first team squad after his 18th birthday. Where will Gordon be in 12 months' time? certainly staking his claim and this is only early days he would have played more this season if not for injury I think Klopp said as well he's only just back from COVID himself as well so yeah you can see why people are excited about him and it's a great starting point for him to hopefully build a successful Liverpool career The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo 
Yeah, absolutely. Really promising signs from him, as you say, taking the, the same sort of, of path as Harvey Elliott. So hopefully they can both go on and, and play for Liverpool for a long time to come. Another one, Joe, we, we mentioned him before in terms of, of Connor Bradley, also really impressed me. I know the, the Shrewsbury goal obviously comes from across from his side of the pitch, but his overall game, I thought, was was much better than what we've seen at certain times in a Liverpool shirt. And I'm not quite convinced if Nico Williams was to leave, that he'd be ready to be Trent Alexander-Arnold's backup just yet. But he is clearly making a lot of progress at the moment. Definitely, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's very hard to judge. Look, playing fullback for Liverpool is, is hugely demanding. And I think, you know, I think Nico Williams isn't a bad player. And again, someone that, you know, I'm pretty sure he'd be sort of higher end of the championship, perhaps even lower Premier League. But I think playing fullback for Liverpool is a whole different kettle of fish. And it, I think Connor Bradley just would have to improve towards the the. the back end of the pitch, uh, sorry, the final third of the pitch, to really push on for Liverpool and be that understudy study for Trent. But they're not easy players to find. I mean, Liverpool are very lucky on the other side that they found Robertson and Chiricas, um, two players that seem to slot in quite well. But it will be more difficult for them to find a nice balance at the right. Um, but yeah, I, um, I think he's a good player. I think he's got a lot of assets, but he's very, very young and he, he needs a bit of time. And if I were Liverpool, I, I mean, I, I think Nico Williams might drive it if he wants to go and play football, and I don't blame him. But I would be slightly concerned if Liverpool went into, say, next season with Conor Bradley as their, their first choice, sorry, their second choice right back behind Trent Alexander-Arnold. I think in such a demanding position, they need slightly more experience. So, um, you know, I, I think he's got a long way to go yet. I'd like to see him perhaps go out on loan. Um, but there were some good things to like about his performance and, you know, he, he never gave up. He attacked well. He caused a lot of problems down the right-hand side. Um, but, yeah, just be looking for more quality and, and just... It's difficult because for Liverpool, you've got to do both, haven't you? You, you can't expect the Liverpool fullback not to get caught out defensively at times because of how much good work they have to do at the other end of the pitch. Um, so anyone who thinks a Liverpool fullback can can be really solid defensively and, and offer as much threat going forward, I think is kidding themselves. But um, Bradley, you know, showed a lot of promise, a bit more fine-tuning to be done for him. But a good young player, again, he's, he's only very young, 18, isn't he? So um, plenty of upside for him. I think it's one where Liverpool might take the gamble, to be honest, because like Nico Williams, he's been in reserve for a good few years now and he's going to have his eyes on the World Cup, isn't he? If Wales qualify especially... Or- Obviously, only if they qualify. He doesn't have to care about it if they don't. But he's going to we want to be first choice for them in Qatar at the end of the year. And it does feel like it's the right time for him to move on. And you know if you're a young fullback at Liverpool, you're going to have to be the very best in the world in your position to be first choice for Liverpool ahead of Alexander-Arnold for the next 10 years. It is such a big ask. It is just about biding your time and having those two, three years as the understudy, learning your trade. But then it's a different story when you're in this experience back four. Like Bradley was singing his praises for how well he did in this when he's against alongside three senior defenders. When he's allowed to go and attack, he might make the odd mistake, but you're expecting the senior defenders to bail him out. Uh, it's different when it's a very inexperienced defence and they all look out of place and you can tell they've not played together before. Um, but Liverpool have made these gambles before. Like I know they've just sorted out on the left-hand side with Simicass and they haven't had to put a James Milner there very often this season. But the, you think they've got that comfort there? Because we'd have been saying the same stuff about Nico Williams a couple of years ago. You can't have him as your only understudy. Yeah, James Milner might leave next summer. He's, he's out of contract. He's, what, 36 now? You think, how long is he going to be able to do this role? Um, 
eyebrows would have been raised with the suggestion of Joe Gomez as an alternative at right back as well. But with the Liverpool fullbacks, because it's such a particular position where you need them to have that attacking strength, it can't just be someone like a centre-back out of position or a midfielder out of position. But I think they will take that gamble just because you expect Virgil van Dijk to be able to bail them out. It only becomes a mistake when you don't have Virgil van Dijk, when you don't have Joel Matip, when you don't have Canate. If they have this massive centre-back injury crisis again and the options are short. But when you're saying you expect Trent Alexander-Arnold to stay fit, it's a bit of a gamble and you're only replying on these players for League Cup games, FA Cup games, maybe the odd substitute appearance in the Premier League. Connor Bradley's shown that you can do it as part of a senior back for him. It's one where... It makes sense for all parties for him to get that year, two years, just to be the understudy. Um, because you can't really go and spend loads of money on anyone to say, right, come and sit on the bench and be Trent's understudy. It's not the same as the left-hand side where Andy Robertson, he's a brilliant player, but his position long-term isn't as secure as Trent. And that's not a slight on him at all. It is just Trent is a generational talent. Yeah, it is a, a really difficult dilemma, isn't it? The, uh, the dog trying to get in there as well. Obviously. <laughs> Just disagrees with Theo. I, I see. I, I do, but Theo, this is where Liverpool. You know, you say, oh, it only becomes a problem when Van Dijk gets injured, when Matip gets injured. But what, what, what have we just seen last season, this season in midfield? You know, I think Liverpool take too many of these gambles, and it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying they have to go out and spend loads, but they spent. If they say sell Nico Williams for ten million pounds, well, they spent near enough ten million pounds on Simicast, and you know, I think it's been a really, really good. Plus for Liverpool this season, they've got two good left backs. Um, so yeah, I mean, they could take that gamble, but I just think with the way Liverpool play and the reliance they have on full backs to take that gamble, and then if Trent ends up out for two, three months, it, it's it, it is a very important position. And you know, I, I think it I just think it's too but too much of a gamble to take. You know, putting an eighteen year old like Conor Bradley in for that length of time isn't good for him and it's not good for Liverpool. He has had a, a couple of sort of five, six week injuries as well, Trent, over the last couple of years. So would be a, a little bit of a, a risk for me. But we'll uh, we'll move on from right back. We'll go back into to midfield, Hannah. I just wanted to, to ask you about Fabinho as well, his performance. Obviously, the penalty is, is not something we've seen a great deal at Liverpool. He did do it quite a lot for Monaco, in fairness. But I thought he seemed to really enjoy himself, actually. It was obviously not a particularly taxing defensive performance for Liverpool. He was able to go forward a little bit more, be a little bit more free. And it's obviously good when he's fit. Liverpool look a lot, lot better as a team. Yes, yeah, it's, it's one of those games as well, I think, where, where the pressure's off a little bit. Um, so I think that certainly helps. And, you know, I think it's such an important time of the season when you think about the players that, that we have out with AFCON and, you know, the injuries that we have as well. So to have players like Fabinho back scoring goals, which he, he doesn't do all that often, um, and fit and firing is is so important, you know, especially with, with the title race as well and, you know, still in all the competition so it's just it's it's a it's a taxing season and, and that can certainly take its toll and you sometimes see that I think with players form where they dip and everything like that and with especially with the injuries that we've had in midfield we're we're demanding a lot of our players so um yeah I think that that performance from Fabinho yesterday was was really important um you know especially moving in into a big week where we're you know semi-finals of the Carabao Cup and and the big Premier League game against against Brentford as well so 
you know, I, I was really impressed with with Fabinho and, and him being there, like we mentioned earlier, it helped the likes, I think, of Curtis Jones and Tyler Morton to, to allow them to express themselves a little bit more. And it, and it takes the pressure off, I think, of, of those around them as well, because, you know, you've got you got the lighthouse behind you. So, um, yeah, it was a really impressive performance, I think, from from Fabinho and, um, you know, to, to score the penalty. I think he's missed a, a penalty for Liverpool before. Um, so, you know, that's... He missed one in um, pre-season against Torino. It's a, a yeah. famous Ian Doyle five, isn't it? <laughs> I think it was one of those times where you know he took all the penalties for Monaco, and he and he, I don't think he ever missed one. And then there's all this expectation behind him to to score the penalty, and then he misses, and it's a bit like oh. <laughs> um, but I I don't think he'll be the designated penalty taker for Liverpool anytime soon. I think that's firmly James Milner or Mohamed Salah's responsibility. But obviously, when neither of those are on the pitch, who do you turn to? And and Fabinho stepped up, and he and he took that penalty really calmly coolly and, and buried it so and then to get the penalty late on as well and stop his time I think yeah it's just brilliant to see the blood red podcast from the Liverpool Echo yeah I think it was as many as about 21 that he scored for Monaco so it was, it was quite prolific from the, the only spot missed for, one for Monaco it was like 21 and 22 yeah, it'd be, be very interesting to see if he stepped up on, on Thursday for Arsenal. If Liverpool were to get a penalty in that game, I'm sure probably could well be him, obviously, with Salah out and, and Milner pro- probably not in the, the starting eleven for that one. But we'll preview that game next. Before we actually talk about the football, Joe, I'll, I'll come to you first on this one. There's been a kind of a lot of, of strange talk, I think, certainly on social media from Arsenal fans about not being happy that the first leg was postponed. Then, obviously, last night, Jurgen Klopp came out and said a few of the positive tests turned out to to be false positives. They weren't actually positive. There's been a kind of strange narrative around the whole thing. What's your take sort of been on on that kind of thing? My take is that the thought that anyone is afraid to play Arsenal is... um... (laughs) It's laughable. I, I, you know, I don't think the Echo side would be afraid to play Arsenal at the moment, and we haven't played in many a year. So, I, yeah, I mean, Liverpool aren't pulling out games against Arsenal, um, and the, the only reason that last week was postponed is because they had to close the bloody training ground. The manager was down, the assistant manager was down. You know, a number of I think goalkeepers may have been down. So, you know, Liverpool had very little choice, and we've seen. Plenty of evidence from Liverpool that they are willing to play games. You know, they went into the game against Chelsea, um, you know, with, with several issues. Um, obviously, not least the manager not being there. Um, and Liverpool have tried to get every game that they could get on on this season. So, yeah, that, that game against Arsenal was postponed. But um, pushing it back one week, I don't think, makes all the world a difference, does it? And, and look, I mean, I don't... I don't think Liverpool are trying to make a habit of it. I can understand when there's questions and it's difficult, you know, we, on one hand, I don't think, you know, the, the clubs can come out and go, look, here's a list of players that have COVID because, you know, you, you can't go around telling people people's medical issues. But at the same time, you know, I can understand say Everton fans being frustrated with Leicester who, um, you know, have now knocked that game back another time. Um, seem to have injuries in AFCON, which I don't really know why, that seems to come into play, but I suppose if you put that in with COVID and they don't have a squad, and understand. But then there was two of their players pictured at the darts, so at the same time, you kind of understand why there's frustrations. But look, I mean, perhaps there is a bit of tactical elements of it for some clubs, but certainly a lot of Liverpool, I think they've more than shown, um, you know, by going into that game against Chelsea, a game that I'm sure Liverpool will put 
in much higher importance than, than a League Cup tie against Arsenal, albeit a semi-final, um, that Liverpool are not willing to pull out of games um, just as and when. And, and, you know, I've seen some Arsenal fans say, oh, it's the AFCON. Well, the, the, both games are still being played within AFCON and, and Liverpool will have had that conversation. So it's not as if Liverpool have gone, can we play it in February? It's it's a nonsense. So, um, yeah, I think Arsenal fans are, are just being quite silly um, and they should probably worry about their own team a little bit. Guy Clark's ears are burning somewhere right now. Yeah, <laughs> I only have to say this for Guy. But, you know, it's funny because I like Arsenal. They're, they're, they're a good club and some of the, they've had some of the best Premier League players of all time, but they, they don't half get a bit silly sometimes. Yeah, it was certainly very, very strange, Theo. I mean, I don't know if you, you caught the Arsenal game yesterday, but certainly Liverpool have nothing to fear on that evidence. Um, I didn't, and now you've jinxed it, so Arsenal going to win, because that always seems to be the case. We write off <laughs> Arsenal too and they go and turn up against Liverpool. But um, it's one where it doesn't matter if it's Arsenal or if it's any team in Europe. You know Liverpool on their day can beat anyone. They're a match for anyone. That's why they've been so good under Jurgen Klopp and Arsenal. I actually thought they'd been a bit better this season. Like They seem to pick up a few good results, like considering they started the season so badly. I know um, losing to Liverpool a couple of months ago disrupted their rhythm, but they seem to find it again. Um, they've got this ongoing turmoil, don't they, with Aubameyang. You think, oh, he's been stripped of the armband. They'll probably want rid of him. But then that could be to their benefit. They seem to... Arteta's perhaps got it more stable than you expected him to, considering he was under pressure. But they're still side in transition. The same as Liverpool were, what, early days of Rodgers under Dalgleish. Maybe under Hodgson, that sort of side where you think you're lucky if you're getting into Europa League. Um, you're certainly not competing for league titles. You might get the odd cup run, but if you come against someone decent, you're going to get knocked out if they actually want to have a go in, in the cup. Um, same way no one feared Liverpool 10 years ago. You, you don't fear Arsenal now. Um, even if they'd beaten Nottingham Forest yesterday, I'd still fancy Liverpool's chances over the two legs. But that's just where the two sides are at the moment. It could be a case of in 10 years' time, Arsenal back at the top of English football and Liverpool have come around full circle and are trying to rebuild again. Never know. Just enjoy the fact that Arsenal are uh, in a bad place at the moment. Liverpool are one of the best teams in Europe. But yeah, they've got good players. They've got some good young players like Saka, Smith-Rowe. They've got a few dodgy ones. You think, what are they doing playing for Arsenal Football Club? Like, uh, was it the left-back who... Get gifted Jota his goal. He was subbed Tavares. early yesterday, wasn't he? Yeah, Nuno Tavares. I'm sure he'll come out and have an absolute world against Liverpool now. But there's some yeah. players. It's still a mismatch of a squad. You've got some great players there and you've got some that probably shouldn't be anywhere near Arsenal Football Club. Yeah, there are a good few players in there as well, though, aren't there, Hannah? Is there anyone that has caught your eye this season? I know Gabriel Martinelli is, is one that Jurgen Klopp's spoken about in the past. He seems like a, a really top player to me. Yeah, but Pakaya Saka is definitely one. Um, you know, he's sort of certainly taken the Premier League by storm a little bit. Um, and that sort of started, I think, with with the Euros especially. But he, he's been really impressive. He's one that's been probably tentatively, but linked with Liverpool a little bit. And it's one that you'd certainly take at Liverpool. I think he's he's certainly impressive. And, you know, I've, I've not watched too much of Arsenal this season, but what I have seen, he's he's been, I think, the one player that, that has stood out for me. Um, but I mean, Arsenal don't have too many, you know, world beaters. I would say. Um, I mean, like us, same with the. I'd probably jinx that now, and they're all probably going to have a fantastic game against Liverpool. But you know, their, their form seems to get on a bit of a roller coaster, really. I mean, you know, their their form 
started off, I think, at the start of the season pretty abysmal, but then they, they certainly picked it up under Arteta and then they sort of fall off a cliff again a little bit. So um, there's nowhere near that level of consistency with Arsenal, but I, I certainly wouldn't get too complacent with it because they very nearly and probably could have got a result against Manchester City um, the other week. They absolutely outplayed Man City I think and I thought they they were quite unfortunate but but they did an Arsenal and, and, and they threw it away and <laughs> um you know that but I think is their downfall really um they do a lot of things well but then they can certainly let the game get get to them a little bit and you know players like Granite Xhaka as well so um yeah I, I certainly wouldn't underestimate them you know they do have players that can hurt you I'm not too sure I didn't watch the Arsenal game I'm not too sure if Saka played I think he, he did did I think yes yeah. yes he did play um so you know I, I, that was quite a shocking result I think when I, when I saw that um come up I, I was a little bit taken aback by it because you know typically you do expect the the teams higher up in the Premier League to usually comfortably beat beat teams in lower divisions so Nottingham Forest certainly gave them a game and deservedly got a result. So, um, you know, I, th I think, but if anything, you know, you sort of see that and it can sort of go against you a little bit if they're going to be fired up enough to want to put that result right and, and you know, get a result against Liverpool. I'm sure the whole fiasco with the game getting postponed and, and the anger that, that their fans and their club felt towards it, Um you know, I think that will certainly rile them up for Thursday. So I think it's going to be a very interesting game. And obviously we've we've seen what's happened in, in recent years when we played Arsenal in the League Cup at Anfield and the dramatic penalty shootout. So hopefully it'll be another another classic like that, but hopefully a good result for Liverpool to take to the Emirates the following week. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Absolutely, it'll be a, an important game. Usually lots of, of goals in these games, but we'll pick our teams just before we make our score predictions for the game. I'll come to you first, Joe, for your goalkeeper and your back four. Obviously, it goes without saying, we don't know exactly who's going to be there and, and who isn't. But would you be picking Quivin Kelleher in goal, even if Alisson is there? And what about the rest of the back four? I really like Quivin Kelleher. I think, he, I think he's a really, really good young player. And, you know, I think Theo's written a piece today obviously copied off a wonderful piece I wrote earlier this season saying that Liverpool have got a bit of a dilemma with him uh, because such a good number two uh, at such a young age is going to want to go and play football at some point um, and he's not going to do that at Liverpool with Alisson. So I wonder whether Liverpool could do like a, a loan or a sell to buy with him because I think he's just such a good young player. But for this, it's the semi-final. If he's fit, I would be playing Alisson. Um, I think there's an argument that you could say reward Cueven Kelleher um, for, for what he's done in the other rounds. But for me, I think you just sort of revert to the proper pecking order and once you get to big games and I would be playing Alisson. I've got a feeling Liverpool will play Kelleher on Thursday night though. Do you want me back four or are we... Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Four? Again, as, as I've just said, you know, if people are fit and not on our COVID free... Um, I would argue that you would sort of revert to, to the main back four. Um, with one exception, I would go for Trent. Um, I'd possibly keep Kanate in there. Um, Van Dijk and um, Simicast. I think I'd put Simicast in just to, to rotate those two left backs. Um, yeah. Um, and just on Arsenal, I just want my own say on Arsenal. We've all had our say on Arsenal. You didn't even ask me, Matt. Um, 
but I want if if there's a chance to kick Arsenal, I want to have a little go. So I, I, I you know, I think Granit Xhaka sums up the crazy club to me. You know, why he's still there, um, I'll, I'll never ever understand. Um, you know, he's a guy who should have left. Well, he should have left seasons ago. They should probably never have bought him. But I, there's just a weird immaturity that runs through that that the, the playing squad, and they've had it for years. Whether it's Ozil, whether it's Aubameyang, whether it's Xhaka, you know. And I think when they have good young players, I think if you put Shaka, uh, sorry, Shaka, Saka or, or um, Smith Rowe in Liverpool, they could go on to even greater heights. But when you put them in a, in a team like Arsenal with players around them, like Aubameyang, like Xhaka, who just clearly don't care, it, it just holds them back. And I think, for me, Arteta, I hope, weeds out some of those personalities because they shouldn't be at Arsenal Football Club. They, they just, um, you know... I, they would annoy the life of me if they were at Liverpool. And we've had a few players like that in the past that have done so. You know, I, they need to weed those players out. But yeah, sorry, go on, pick him in fields. <laughs> well, 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 we'll go to you, Theo, on your, on your goalkeeper and, and your back four first. Is it similar to, to Joe? Or, I mean, we, we know, I think, that the trends will be missing through COVID. So I imagine Nico will, will play in this one. Um, with the keeper, I, I keep faith with Keller. I reckon it's at that stage now where. You've got to do what Manchester City have done, where you've got such a good number two goalkeeper that you've just got to say to him, yes, you're in the domestic cup. It doesn't matter if they get knocked out in the third round or they go all the way to the final. Those are the games that he plays. And he's played well when he's been turned to. He deserves it. And I think um, The Athletic have done an interview with John Achterberg. And Achterberg said to him, himself, there is going to be a point in the next two years where we're going to have to have a discussion with uh, Keller about what does he do? Because he can't just sit on the bench and be number two behind Allison for the next six, seven years. Like Allison's under contract until 2027. He's got another 10 years at the, the very height of the game ahead of him. If he's Liverpool number one for the next 10 years, no one's getting near him, no matter how good they are. Um, I think you look at the international, uh, the Ireland squad. If Keller was playing for anyone else, he'd probably be first choice. He'd have played a lot more football and he'd be first choice for his country as well. So he's missing out on opportunities by being this number two for Liverpool. Um, he's one of the most the best number twos they've had in the Premier League era. Um, not going to push him out the door if he's happy to learn off Allison, one of the best in the world, happy to keep him there. But there are going to be these occasions where you have to just give him that reward and say, yeah, doesn't matter that it's in a big game. You've earned to keep your place with the semi-finals, and hopefully you can get a few Wembley appearances this year, uh, depending on how FA Cup does and League Cup. Defensively, I think Trent, they're saying, should be back. For, for when he tested positive, I think he'll be out of isolation and he'll be back in training just in time for Arsenal, the same way that Firmino was able to be on the bench yesterday. But it's still such a big ask to go right, go straight back into it because they've not been able to train if they've tested positive. They've just had to be cooped up inside. And while you're sure they can do something, I don't know, or like an exercise bike or something like that, you don't know how they're struggling with the symptoms, like coughing, how well they can breathe, stuff like this. So it'd be a big ask to throw Trent straight back in. Maybe he'll be fit for the bench. But then with the, the absentees from the squad yesterday, we don't know why Joe Gomez was there. We wasn't there. We don't know why Nico Williams wasn't there. Uh, were they these players with false uh, positives for COVID? How much have they trained? Have they got injuries that have not been disclosed? Or are they just secretly rested? There's so much uncertainty there. Um, if it's going to be a similar back four to what played yesterday, you wouldn't really have too many issues with Connor Bradley keeping his place. But then if Nico Williams is fit, he's going there. Uh, it's a quick turnaround for Brentford at the weekend. So I'd imagine you'd have Andy Robertson against Brentford. So like Joe, 
Simicass left back. Um, Joe Gomez is another one. We don't know why he was missing yesterday. If he's available and he's actually had some training time, you'd like to see him start a game, but it's still a bit of a gamble if he's not been training for whatever reason. Um, so maybe it's one where you keep the Konate van Dyke partnership. It's still semi final. Uh, van Dyke, you want in these big games. And Konate did well against him alongside him yesterday. And with Matip, his own injury record, you want him to have some proper time training, not as opposed to like just putting him in after a day, which would have been the case yesterday. Let him have a, a full week's training this week and then he can have the Brentford game with Konate getting Arsenal. I'm going to bring uh, Joel Matip in for this one. I think he'll have had a few days training, won't he? I think he was was back on, on Friday. He was one of those, so I'm going to pick him. But Hannah, what's your goalkeeper and, and back for? What are you going to go for? I personally would would probably keep Kelleher in there. I, I certainly get Joe's point about you want your best goalkeeper and it. At the end of the day, it is a semi-final and it is, you know, against relatively good opposition in Arsenal. But, you know, I, I think, you know, you, you do stick with Kelleher and probably some of the youngsters as well, given that, you know, I, I'm sure Klopp might view it as they're the players that got us to this point in the competition. So they deserve to, to hopefully see it out. Um, but I think goalkeepers are certainly one way you do keep the consistency with it. And I, I would put Kelleher in there. Um, yeah, right back's definitely definitely an interesting one. It certainly depends on when Trent comes back and, and how he trains. I, I think, if anything, that's probably the youngster that you put in the back four, maybe in Connor Bradley. Um, you know, he, he certainly didn't do too bad against Shrewsbury. And of course, Arsenal's a completely different test. And I think he did struggle a bit against Leicester as well in the last round. But um, I'd maybe keep Connor Bradley in there. But obviously, if, if Trent's fit and he, if Trent's ready to go, then, you know, you you put him in there. But I, I don't know if you'd have one eye on Brentford as well and think you, you'd rather Trent be, be ready for that game. Um, yeah, I think I agree with you. I think Matip should come back for this one if, if he's you know, ready. Um, yeah, I don't think Canate did too badly against Shrewsbury, but, um, you know, I, I definitely want to see a, a, you know, if you are going to throw a few youngsters in there, you you know, you do need that solidity. So I probably would put Matic back in there alongside Van Dyke And um, Robertson, I mean, obviously, he's been out with a red card and he's come back now. Um, so that's a difficult one because he's, he's had the rest. So you don't necessarily need to rotate him out. Um but obviously Simicass needs games as well if, if he's ever to, you know, need to come back in for a period of time. So um, I probably would put Simicass in there um, again with an eye on Brentford. So, yeah, I think that's Bradley, Matip, Van Dyke, and Simicass. Yep, very similar for me. We'll move on to the midfield, Joe. A couple more options in that sort of area of the pitch, we assume. You'd think Fabinho would be a certainty. Is it Fabinho and, and two more? Yeah, usually, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I, I would go for Fabinho. Not Fabinho in three. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I'd go for Fabinho. Um, it's difficult, isn't it? Um, Oxide Chamberlain had been playing well um, previously, so I'd possibly go for him. Um, and then, and he played well against Arsenal, didn't he, at Anfield? And then Henderson, um, if he's fit. Um, not too sure again on what these what these lads are like at the moment, but yeah, um, if Henderson's fit, I play Henderson. Obviously, if Tiago was fit, I play Tiago, but I don't think he's going to be. I think it's going to be a little bit longer, albeit not um, end of the season or or March or some of the rumours that are going around. But yeah, um, Henderson, Fabinho, and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain will be my three. 
Fabinho Henderson and Curtis Jones for me, Theo. I think he needs a, a bit of a, a run of games and I'm going to give him another go. Who are you going to go for? Can't we put Fabinho up front? He's got a couple of goals now. They need a striker. <laughs> he's got a good frame for it. Uh, now, Fabinho's got to be the number six, doesn't he? Just because he, he's the one who he's already had COVID. He's not going to get it again so quickly. You, you know he's fit. You know he's available. Um, so he's the number six. It's another dilemma, like I was saying with Gomez and Nico Williams. You've got Henderson, Oxlade, Chamberlain, and Milner, it's like, why were they missing yesterday? What was the reason there? Are they going to be available? How much they trained? Uh, so I'll probably put Curtis Jones in the midfield as well, just because, you know, he's available. Um, I think he played better in midfield yesterday than he did in the front three. It certainly helped Liverpool get more of control of the game when they put Dixon Bonner out wide and had that more experienced head in the midfield. And then it's just, if one of those three is back, um, you'd start, they can take up that final spot. It's just, which one do you go for? Maybe keep Milner in reserve. Um, I was about to say for a penalty shootout, but obviously it's two legs, so there's not going to be any penalty shootout for this one. Would have been if the first leg had gone uh, to plan. Um, Oxlade-Chamberlain might even be needed in the front three. So I- I'll just go for the bias, the fact that at the moment it's Oxlade-Chamberlain against this former club. It's the League Cup, so he can start. But there's so much uncertainty about which of these players are available, which are unavailable, and why they weren't available yesterday in the first place. And finally, Hannah, do you want to talk us through your midfield? You might as well talk us through your attack as well. Yeah, so I would obviously keep Fabinho in there. Um, and then if, if Henderson's fit, then I'd, I'd want him in there as well. Um, and then I'd put Curtis Jones. Obviously, there there is a shout for Alex Oxley-Chamberlain, but I think given potentially the lack of options we'll have up front, he might choose to put Alex Oxley-Chamberlain on the wing, potentially. Um and you know he's capable of playing there, so I'd keep Curtis Jones in there. Um, you know I think he played on the wing against Shrewsbury, so I'd put him back in midfield. Um, and then in the attack, I'd obviously put Bobby Firmino up front. Minamino I think deserves some minutes as well. Um, I think typically this probably would be the perfect game for Divokarii, but I'm not quite sure if he's fit or, or what's happening with him or how long he's out for. So. Um, Probably not Divock. Um and then Jota. If is is if Jota's fit um is an obvious one as well. But um it's it's quite difficult, I think, because obviously without our, our standard wingers, it's you know, not quite sure. It's, I mean Jota can play out wide, but you know, sometimes he plays through the middle as well. So you've you've got quite a lot of options up front in that position. So you've sort of got a mix people up and play people out of position but we've certainly got the attacking talent to to hopefully get a result against Arsenal I think you know Firmino getting a goal against Shrewsbury obviously he's been out for a little bit as well I think he had Covid so um, yeah so him him back will be important and Minamino and then Jota I would say that was a very long winded answer sorry <laughs> yeah no I agree with you Jota on the right hand side for me Minamino on the left and Firmino through the middle I know Minamino I think Jurgen Klopp said yesterday that he's only just come back from injury he used the, the second half of the Shrewsbury game as kind of part of of his rehab so would imagine that he's probably slightly closer and whether it'll start I'm not too sure but Joe are you in agreement or are you going to go for, for somebody else in that front three yeah I'd agree it's not it's not a front three that I love because I think all three of them really want to be central, um, you know, and I, part of me would be tempted to put Cade Gordon in as a bit of a wild card um, and as someone to provide maybe slot, slightly a bit more natural width um, 
And I know you'd argue that the Salah and Mane come central, but they do it from a wider starting point, don't they? So it's not a front three that I'm absolutely in love with, but I think it's probably the one Liverpool play Thursday. And I think if you are going to throw a wild card, you might want to do that against Brentford. But yeah, um, there's too many other options, especially with Origi um, not being fit yet. So um, if Origi's fit, then perhaps I'd throw him in, but it might be it might be Brentford before he's, he's back and ready. Theo, who are you going to go for? I don't think you had Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain in your midfield, did you? So I did he, have him in my field. You did? Oh, in that case, it's going to be the he same three then, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, there's not really much else you can choose. Like, don't want to see Nico Williams in the front three again. He's not uh, another Gareth Bale. I'm just having a dig at our uh, video editor who's behind the scenes <laughs> and loves him, to be honest. Um, I think we say it every time Liverpool are about to play Arsenal. Roberto Firmino's got a great goal-scoring record against them, but he hasn't actually scored against them since his hat-trick a few years ago. So he's due a goal against Arsenal, so he's going to take that central position. Um, like you said, Minamino Klopp described the Shrewsbury game as like this rehab. But And if he's fit enough to play 45 minutes and that's part of his rehab, he's going to have a few days trading here. You'd like to think he's fit enough to start. While he might not be able to get through 90 minutes for you, you're still allowed to make five substitutions. So you can still protect him, even if it's taking him off after, I don't know, 55 minutes or something like that. And then Jot is another one. don't have a clue why he wasn't in the squad yesterday. You're hoping he's available because they're going to need him this month without Salah and Mane. You think for a semi-final, it makes sense to go as strong as you can and put him in. Uh, so he would make up the trio. But like Joe, if um, he's out for whatever reason, I wouldn't mind putting in Kate Gordon. It's this this wild card. I don't think of Rigi's back yet. I think he's still injured. And then you know, other options it is only Oxley Chamberlain. So um, go reasonably strong, get a comfortable win in the first leg, and then you can rotate things more at the Emirates when you hopefully already got one foot in the final. Yes, interesting stuff. And on that note, we will go for our score predictions. I'm going to go 2-0 to Liverpool, I think. I'm fairly confident that the Reds will win this one. Theo, I'll come to you first. Is it going to be one foot in the final after Thursday? Um, I'll go 3 1. Liverpool don't seem to be keeping many clean sheets at the moment. But if you've got Firmino there back, you've got Minamino there, potentially Jota, the scoring goals, even when they're not playing much this season and without Salah and Mane, they've got points to prove as well. So you'd like to think they can take advantage against uh, Arsenal after the weekend and put a few past them. Yep, absolutely. Joe, what about you? 2 1 Liverpool. Again, um, you know, Liverpool. Even when Arsenal feel dangerous, Liverpool quite often seems to do a job against them. Um, and I just think it would be one of those sort of games and they'll play with the handbrake off a little bit um, and with a bit more freedom. So, yeah, I, f- I fancy them. Um, yeah, 2 1 Liverpool. And Hannah, are you going to make it all four predicting a win or how do you reckon it might be? I certainly think it'll be, be quite tight. So, I'll probably stick with Joe and go as the 2 1 as well. Um, I think given that we're at home, um, I'd like to think we can get a result to take to the Emirates, but I think it's a bit of a blow losing that home advantage for the second leg. So, um, yeah, as as long as we get a win in the first leg, I think that will really put us in good stead for for the match at the Emirates. So, 2-1. Absolutely. All positives then, but that just about brings us to the end of the podcast for now. My thanks go to Joe Rimmer, Theo Squires and to Hannah Pinnock for joining me. And of course, to you at home for watching and listening to. Until next time, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.